Hello and welcome to episode 154 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stanislav, did you know this is our this is going to be our thir- three-year anniversary episode? It should come out the exact same day that three years ago, episode one dropped and everyone just was just freaking out. Everyone was just flocking to the doors of the, of the podcast. Yeah. People come up to me in the street and say, I remember where I was the first time I heard your co-host tell you that thought scouring yourself can be good. Yeah. <laughs> who would have thought? Yeah. All 17 people who listened to the first episode of Dive Down on day one, as we watched those analytics come in. What was our day one? It was like 17 people. I think it was like 20. I want to find out. I feel like that's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, we got, we got some randos on, on iTunes who were into it somehow. Yeah. yeah. We've more that? than doubled that performance. Yeah. On a weekly basis, there are more than 30 people who listen to this show. Also with us, the Godfather, Dave Harbarger. It is me, you know, that I always uh, interrupt. So I'm just, I'm not going to take time here. I'm going to hand it over to our friend who was willing to join us for this episode this week, Everett Mohan, the Aspiring Spike. Thank you for joining us for this special occasion, Everett. No, welcome back. We haven't had you on for a while. I feel like it's been forever. We, you know, we've been busy. You've been busy. So I'm so glad that you made some time to come on our, our year end award episode and to celebrate three years with us. Yeah, it was cool to see uh, you and uh, Stan in Vegas for a little bit. Sad that uh, Dave wasn't there though. Yeah. Right, so were we. I am so glad that you brought this up because I have something I wanted to ask you about Vegas ever. <laughs> so people over the pandemic, over Zoom times, let's call them, I think, you know. People started telling me that you were really tall. Mm. And I don't know how you're going to take this, but I was sad because I thought there was another cool short person on the podcast with me. (laughs) I thought there was another short king energy on the podcast. And then they were like, yeah, Everett's like six foot three. And I was like, what? What? I don't know why it never occurred to me. I was always like, I think he's also five, six, like I am, which I don't know if you know, I'm very short. (laughs) Well, I I have no way of knowing. I I actually get that all the time. People think that I'm short, but you know, height is a a relative concept. You know, it's all just relative to other people's height. You know what I mean? It's true. Does it really mean anything? It was just a real surprise to me because I was like, I'm dumb. I never even thought what someone might look like in real life. Yeah, you know? it's, al- it's always weird being somebody in real life that you're familiar with online. That happened a mm-hmm. lot in Vegas. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah I, th- I didn't meet you either in uh, Arizona, Dave. That's right. No, I wasn't there. It was I wasn't just, it was just me. Yeah. It, it, it was, yeah, Stan wasn't there. No, just Shane in Arizona. No, I remember like, yeah, I mean, I, I saw so many people come up and meet you ever because they were like you were like hey can you hold this for me shane while, while, I, while I sign this person's <laughs> well, card i got to hold something for you too so yeah that was yeah, kind yeah, of you thank yeah. you yeah all right well stan on the, are you gonna take us through what this week is about or should i hop in and do your job here please go for it it's <laughs> it'll be my christmas present to you a little a little authority <laughs> on this week it's the reason for the season the dive down annual award show as you know uh we're going to answer random questions, make arbitrary lists, and hopefully have some fun debates. No big dive down this week, just some fun conversation and hanging out. We'll be discussing everything 2021, the highs, the lows, the weirds. We'll do a brief rundown of what happened in the last 12 months to start. And then, like I said, we're going to talk about cards, decks, designs, etc. And uh, just kind of close out the year in fun. This will be the last show of the year. Yeah, we don't have another one coming out after this next week. Yep. Just to let everybody know. That's right. 
Probably yeah. not. Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Christmas falling on a Saturday. And then- it might just be me and Stan just being like, hey, what are you doing Monday night? Let's just make an episode. It, honestly, that might that might happen. Yeah. But it, also, <laughs> it, it may or may not happen. Only time will tell. I mean, I'm always up for that. So, you know, text me. We'll, we'll do Spider-Man spoilers. I still haven't seen it. I don't know if you guys have seen it. I have not. Okay. <laughs> Stanislav sees all those Spider-Mans. Yeah, I love the Spider-Man. I tried to go today, but they were sold out. Wow. Wow. Okay. He's a popular man. So, but first, before we get into all that, some housekeeping. Are you just going to do this whole intro? Are you going to do Stan's job? Sure. What do you guys think the Spider-Man movie might be like? (laughs) I think he's going to have some webs. I thought it was pretty good. It was fun. I think there's some webs slinging. It was emotionally satisfying. It's good to hear, yeah. Who's your favorite? Are you is your favorite superhero Spider-Man? Are you? Uh, It is actually. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big Spider-Man fan. Uh, A big fan of the the video games, the comics, the movies. Stan, you too. Yeah. Yeah, Spider-Man's kind of big. Has been big for me since I was a little boy. Yeah, yeah, man. Me too. Me too. He's not angry enough. I only have I like angry superheroes. That actually checks out. That's why you like (laughs) Batman. (laughs) I'm not wearing hockey pants. I you know I grew up in the era when the Spider-Man like CGI animated show was a on Fox Saturday mm. mornings and it was it was a big deal to me. I remember watching the 80s one, the live action one when I was a kid. That was that's some weird stuff. Somewhat forgotten. All right, best superhero of the year, Spider-Man. <laughs> Seconded. Nailed it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm outvoted yeah. clearly, so it's all good. I don't even, I couldn't even name 3. All right, but first before we get into all that, let's do some housekeeping. New patrons to join the Dive Down Nation, Dom M returns. Welcome back Dom, great to have you in the Discord again. Also we got Carl, just Carl, no last initial, it's like Madonna. Welcome Carl and Scott P. No relation. May or may not be a former Chicago Bull. Mm. Yeah. We have uh no new reviews this week. Are we, you know, if you've got something you want to say to us, just head on over to Apple Podcasts and tell us tell us your thoughts. Tell us how much you like us or how average you think we are. Either one. We'll take that feedback. And if you'd like to support us directly, you can find us at patreon.com slash the dive down, where as little as $1 an episode will get you access to our definitively discreet dive down Discord server where people just talk about stuff all day, 24-7. Log in there. If you're in Europe, if you're in America, if you're in any time zone, there's always going to be someone there ready to talk. Yeah, Odin Odin wakes up, we go to sleep. It's the perfect cycle. Mm-hmm. What's the opposite of an alarm clock? Like, when Odin shows up, that's when I know it's time to curl up. Also, you can go to manatraders.com. You sign up code the dive down 2021 at least for now, uh, for 15% off your first two months. Always love Manatraders. Thanks for working us, with us for so long. So, we don't have a true dive down this episode and we have kind of a fake breakdown and what the breakdown is is a breakdown of the entire year so what i thought might be fun slash interesting slash worth talking about at least is just to go through some of the big events and big changes and big releases through 2021 talk about how it impacted uh, the formats we play i think especially modern and maybe a little bit of historic conversation in there because there was a surprisingly big you know surprisingly surprising number of changes at least in modern co-hosts and friends i have a surprise okay i put together something for this episode you know it, it occurred to me we haven't had a good old-fashioned pivot table in quite some time. <sighs> oh my gosh, really? A, a holiday pivot table? Oh, my man my man pivoted. Did you look at every deck that won, won something that wasn't a league? Oh, I went even deeper. I went much, much deeper. I'm not going to lie. Everett looks a little terrified right now. Did you look Did you look at like prevalence, like over time type stuff? 
So I have a spreadsheet that goes down 1,717 rows. Okay. You know how when you go on MTG Goldfish for a tournament, it has the metagame breakdown on the right with top decks, cards, creatures, and spells? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I pulled those metagame breakdowns for every modern challenge in 2021. Heck yeah. Put in a spreadsheet. I spat out some pivot tables. I've got top decks, top creatures, top cards, top spells for every month of the year. Oh, yeah, this is good. This is good stuff. So while we're going through these notes, which you have conveniently broken down month by month, more or less, I will be able to color that in with how popular was Lightning Bolt. Are you going to paste this into like our show notes so I can see it? Who's going to hide it from me? Sure, I'll paste it in. I was going to hide it until until now. This is a true surprise. My co-host did not know I was doing this. It's a holiday miracle. I'm clicking it. Access denied. Oh, man. Oh, sorry. I made it on my I'm, personal I'm requesting, Gmail. I'm requesting access right now. I'll, I'll just update the link. <laughs> okay. Now you should be able to get in there. Oh, there it is. Wow. I'm surprised Bolt is still such a big winner, to be honest. Huge. There was one point when Bolt got upended as the top spell, at least. What was the, what was the uh, time period that it was upended? Like a month, a week? One, one, one tournament? No, no, no. It was there was a turning point uh, in November when November it stopped, when it stopped being the top spell. All right, that's wild. Yeah. Well, let's call it, let's call it a tease. Let's dive into the month by month then, because I will be curious to see how this story goes. All right. Turns out the year started with January, like other years. <laughs> Weird. Weird, indeed. And if we go way back into imagining what modern looked like back in in January, you know. In my recollection, outside of Stan's objective data poll, mm-hmm. we're talking about things like Amulet Titan with Field of the Dead, Four Color Field of the Dead with Mystic Sanctuary, Uro, Omnath Control, a lot of Field of the Dead, Heliod <laughs> Company. We had some Belcher with uh, yeah, Simeon Spirit Simeon Guide. Spirit Guide. We had Uro, as I mentioned before. We got humans some then. What what, what do you all remember from the beginning of last year? You know what's weird? I was looking at like that um, one of those top eight style like deck collection websites, and like spirits was still routinely showing up in the beginning of 2021. It was like top eighting events, and not just by Doctor Queller. Uh, you know, that, I mean, that's how far we've come. Is that spirits was like a legitimately playable deck that won things in January of 2021. I think that that is. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying debatable. it's tier one, my dude. Debatable? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be sorry. That sounds like you looked at the wrong year to me. It feels like 2019. It still, it still was there. Wow. It wasn't, amazing. I mean, I was just surprised. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. yeah I think yeah. it's a, a fact that it's updated for sure. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. But Stan. Yeah, Shane's not wrong. Shane's not wrong. So the actual most popular deck of January was Uro Omnath mm-hmm. and tied with Hammer Time. Yeah. It's still there. Both of those decks appeared 10 times across the challenges. Spirits was in a big bucket with a bunch of other decks that appeared eight times, including like Racto Shadow, Jun Shadow, Heliad Company, Death and Taxes, and Adnaz. And those top 32 data, right? Correct. The only other decks more popular than this bucket of eight was Is It Blitz? And the other bucket, which is just a bunch of odds and ends. Interesting. My favorite style of magic. But yeah, and then, you know, like, so I think that's kind of where we started was a lot of Uro, you know, and just sort of ruling the roost, right? Yeah. yeah. A lot of people asking Everett on his streams every day, should we ban Uro? Should we not ban Uro? <laughs> yeah. Should constantly. we ban Mystic Sanctuary? Constantly asking that question too. 
And the answer was, I guess, yes. I mean, I, I did, uh, I think for a long, for, for a while, I was like, no, or else, you know, it's fine. And then I think like probably like a full month before Uro was banned, I was like, yeah, it's time to get this card out of here. Yeah. In January, it was the eighth most popular creature in challenges. In fact, the actual most popular creatures were most of Hammer Time. It was like Giver of Ruins, Pure Steel Paladin, Ornithopter. Yeah, that's actually really cool to me to think about how Hammer Time was so popular back in January, February before Modern Horizons 2. Right. Because I do feel like there's like a general perception that the deck came about afterwards, but it's been a real deck for a while. Oh, yeah. When was the moment when you remember that deck suddenly crossing over? Because I'll tell you what, what, when I noticed, when I noticed that Lapis John started playing it and started tweeting about it a lot and started top eighting challenges or doing well in challenges with it. That's when I was personally, I was kind of like, Oh, this is actually a real deck. And I, I feel like it was probably around the beginning of last year where it stopped being a meme and, and pros started picking it up. But yeah, I think for me, it was when Tom Ross was playing a lot of it. Yeah. Yep. He was like really, really crushing. I, I even feel like he was the one that like very first, like refined the list. Like there was like very clearly a, a show, but he was one that was like playing this like red, white version that was actually starting to put up results. And uh, that, that was mm-hmm. when I, that's when I, my first recall. You're totally right. I, th- I remember and now that you mentioned, I remember Tom Ross was probably the first person I remember playing, playing the deck even before others, you know, of course, before others were doing it too, mm-hmm. but fascinating that it was there at the beginning of last year yeah for sure and then february 5th we get Caldheim printed and we have oops all valkies uh immediately on the the 14th there was a modern championship event and three of the top eight seven of the top 16 was the valky cascade uh cheaty deck and then um, and even before that, the writing was on the wall. On the 15th, we got our only modern bands of the year, besides all the cards that got soft banned due to Horizons 2 coming out. And so in modern, we got Field of the Dead, Mystic Sanctuary, Simeon Spirit Guide, Tybalt's Trickery, and Uro, Titan of Nature's Wrath, all banned, along with the Cascade Rule Change, which was that what you, you can't cascade into stuff and and cast the backside type deal right like you had to like it was a lot more fair even though cascade is still not extremely fair this was an interesting ban um i, I know we want to talk about the impact of all these bands of course and I, I think spike you have a lot of exposure to the impact of these bands but i think the thing that was really interesting here was this is the, one of the first times i remember watsy being like look uh we're gonna make the format more fun like there's there was more overtly just stating we want to make the format more fun. They're like, look, the overall win rate, this is when they started being pretty cheeky too. They were like, the overall win rate of this deck is not problematic, but it makes modern less fun. And so we're going to shake up the metagame. And that's what's interesting too. They were like, the goal of this update is to shake up the metagame into a more fun spot. So was that the result of all these bands? Do you think did modern get more fun in February? Uh, in my opinion, since February, modern has been like as good as it's ever been. Uh, I, I think that we, that was like the, that was definitely the low point. I remember I played in that Valky challenge that you were talking about. And I remember I like, I got, I lost to a Valky on turn one. That was <laughs> through a force of negation. Like, I forced of negation mm-hmm. to Valky on turn one. They commandeered it. And I, 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 I and I just, I lost. It was, it was horrible. <laughs> I was main decking Pithic needles too. Trying to needle Valky. I, I still got crushed by the deck. It was it was really horrible. And, um, uh, you know, be, beyond that, there was like 
when Simeon Spirit Guide was in the format, you had four decks that could kill you on turn one. There was Neobrand, Oopsal Spells, Belcher, really Belcher and, Oops, and, and uh, Neobrand were the ones that usually did kill you on turn one. And there's also the Templed's Trickery deck, which effectively killed you on turn one. And it, it wasn't like that these decks just could. Like, you, you would just die in turn one in Modern, like, pretty often. It was, like, a not good place to be. And it, it was also true that Uro was a card that I was getting so, so tired of. Like, what was terrible about Uro was, was that once, as soon as one copy of Uro was cast... That same copy of Uro was what the entire game revolved around. It would just get escaped again and again and again. And it was just like so it was it was you also had like no decisions so often when you played with Uro. It was a really boring card to play with because it's like you there would be a lot of turns where you have a lot of options, but you also have the ability to escape Uro. So that's what you have to do because it's just the best thing you can do with your mana every single time you can escape it. Yeah. Which was a, a big problem. And I was and I was really happy with their decision to to ban Uro in that spot. In fact, I feel like that um, that ban announcement really did change my personal philosophy on how they should manage the ban list. Because for a long time, I was personally wrestling with the idea of like should cards be banned because they make the format less fun. And I it's something I, I still wrestle with. Obviously, there's a lot of nuance with it, but like ultimately, Magic is a game. Modern is a format that a lot of people like really love and they want to be fun and interactive. And modern modern has always struggled uh, struggled when there had when uninteractive decks are just too powerful and or or cards are too hard to interact with or too dominant. And I think that's when modern is at its uh, is at its worst. And I think since this banlist announcement, modern has been a format where like you've been able to play fun interactive games. And I've personally been a big fan of that. Yeah, awesome, Stan. So one one of the interesting things about this particular ban announcement that happened on February 15th, it was, what, 10 days after Caltime got released? It was, I believe, at that point, the fastest printing to ban announcement that ever happened. Yes. And the Valky decks were only legal for, for, what is it, two challenges, if that? And I think people really didn't get wise to it immediately. Yeah, but it, uh, it was like the worst two weeks of Modern's history, actually. It, 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 I I actually firmly believe that the Valky deck was more powerful than the Eldrazi deck, and the Eldrazi Winter, and, and more powerful than the Hogak deck. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I think that because it was only that two weeks, like people don't really understand how incredibly overpowered that deck was, but it was like... Like the amount of interaction that deck got to play, the amount of like zero mana interaction was unreal. So like, I would be like... <laughs> main decking needles and force of negations and teferis and like like trying to like cast teferi on turn two and it wasn't close to enough it was it was absurd so you don't think there's anything kind of fun about having those mini moments of something being broken i do think that there is some fun there for sure like i in fact i feel like these kind of like eras in these histories give modern a lot of character you know and like there there, there definitely is something to be said for just living through those times and having fun. But if we're just evaluating what is like the most broken deck in modern history, I actually, I really do think it's this one. It's, it's funny when I occasionally have a Valky resolved against me now via like bring to light, you know, or someone brings it out and I'm like, I'm like, this card actually still does a lot when, when they get on the board you're like, wow, it's good. And then just imagining it be being turn one at that point, you know, it's funny. I kind of blinked and didn't play a huge amount during those two weeks. Like we talked about it a lot on the show, but I didn't personally experience a huge, a huge amount of it. And it was like totally missed, like not didn't how bad it was 
prevalence-wise. I think we tested those decks. We did a show on them. They got banned. We talked about it all at once. But I can't imagine having to go in every every day streaming and working on it and having to figure out how to beat this and wondering yeah, how long exactly. it's going to be there and all those kind of things. I mean, like you said, fun for 10 days, and then we're kind of all ready to move on after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Huge shout-out to Wizards for actually very quickly dealing with that, especially because like part of part of like dealing with the Valky problem was like recoding magic online to how the cast how the cascade uh rule worked. And so like I remember a lot of us were like really dooming and saying this is just going to be around for an indefinite amount of time because there's like no way Wizards is going to reprogram this. They like they you know they historically take a long time to fix this kind of stuff on Moto, but they they got to it super fast, and like yeah, that's definitely a big shout out to them. Yeah, and then after this happened, like what our format was basically back to Heliod, Blitz, Titan, and Tron still being a thing based on my my cursory examination. Stan, does does the data back that up? Yeah, I mean, Mill, Burn, Spirits are still up there. Etron is still up there, and Dredge as well. In in February, how about in March? Since March is kind of like after after Valky goes away. What did the top look like there in March as well at that point? Most popular decks are Tron, Jund, Death Shadow, Heliod Company, Etron, Blitz, and Amulet Titan. These are all tied uh, with four four appearances across challenges. Spirit still has three. Man, Spirits yeah. was better than I thought for longer than I thought in 2021. Yeah, I still feel like that's like a weird aberration. But the, the thing that's really interesting <laughs> to me and was, was was that an intentional pun? Yeah, aberration. Yeah, not it was not intentional. Um, <laughs> I, some, as someone who used to love to play spirits when it was good, like I, I just I wasn't even thinking about it at all. I'm I like to play it in historic at one point in time. But anyway, the thing that's interesting about this shift from February to March is actually the numbers of decks went down a a bunch. Like. There were like there were a bunch of decks clustered at six. Maybe there were more events in February. So that is an aberration in Goldfish data. Oh, okay. They're missing a couple weeks of challenges. Got it. Uh, okay, interesting. So March yeah. went down a little bit, or as far just as far as the numbers that we have. But this is what I remember the metagame looking like: Death Shadow, Heliod Company, Eldrazi Tron, Blitz, Amulet Titan, and Tron. I mean, think about those decks. Those were kind of the class of the format. For a while. Yeah, this is this is when Esper Control started to emerge as basically the control deck of the pre-MH2 era, buoyed largely by Kaya's Guile. Oh yeah, when Kyle's Gu- Kaya's Guile was all over the joint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Yindrick list was super super popular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you know Ponzo was still kind of kicking around a little bit. Hammer Time Infect, old school Jund, it's all in there. Yeah, some other stuff was going on in March though. That was the printing of one of the hist- of the historic anthology that we got last year, which certainly led to a lot of discussion, but maybe didn't lead <laughs> to a lot of cards actually being played, unfortunately. No, like you look at this list and you're like, why did we talk about any of these? It's like, oh, like is Declaration in Stone going to be playable? Like, oh, what's what's uh, Merit Lage's Slumber potentially going to do? But really, it was a lot of Death Shadow discussion. And I think a little bit of like maybe Cold Steel Heart and Blink Moth Nexus. And, but of course, you know, bringing Death Shadow into Historic Anthology 4 was the selling point, I think, in a lot of ways. And then also the brewing point where everyone was like, can we make Death Shadow work in Historic? And ultimately, no. But yes. I think it did give people weeks and weeks and weeks of of playing experience, which which is probably worth the cost, honestly. I mean, I have no regrets for the twenty bucks I spent to get my four Death Shadows 
on Arena. I played it and through... Bone Splitter. <laughs> yeah, and Bone Splitter. I played it and Flame Blade Adapt. That was another card that I tried to make work. Yeah, exactly. The, I mean, I had some moments where I was climbing with with Death Shadow through High Gold into Plat and stuff like that around this this time, and even a couple months later. Of course, there's a huge thing that comes up that makes all of this not make much much sense yes. uh, anymore, of course, in the next month. But um, yeah, we also got really cool Old Border cards and Time Spiral remastered in March as well. Yeah, some nice reprints, cool options for paper cards. I can't believe it was that long ago. Yeah. But then we come to April. Yeah, what's happening in April? Well, the first thing that happens in April is that there is no Pioneer Masters on Arena yet. Was there supposed to be at that point, or we're just sort of what? Mark, marking? <laughs> I'm, just, yeah, I'm just saying it wasn't there yet. Maybe there had been discussion about it at different points of time, but it wasn't there April 10th yet. Just marking the passage of time. Modern was kind of still moving along in an expected way. Stan, you want to go to the data to give us a little check-in on Modern before we talk about Strixhaven? This was when Heliod was the most popular deck in the format. Other was pretty big too, as well as Jun Shadow, Esperka, Etron, Burn, and Blitz. Mm, Esper control spikes up to being in the same tier as Death Shadow and Eldrazi Tron. That's really interesting. It's, I remember this time, like the pre modern horizons, when people were getting very grumpy about Heliod. And I remember everyone just being like, this deck is, is so good, even on Magic Online. Imagine if we were playing paper tournaments right now, a Heliod company would be everywhere and this would be banned immediately. Like, why is this still existing? People were pretty grumpy about Heliod combo. Yeah, it was pretty obnoxious to play with and against, too. Like, you'd have just arthritis clicking through the combo. And, like, I, there was also, like, so many times where my opponent would be infinite comboing, and I had a a paragraph ready to copy and paste talking about how I would respect their infinite life combo. <laughs> and they just would either, you know, not see the message because they have chat muted or, like, not want to trust their opponent and they would just still click for like 10 minutes and like streaming through that was a nightmare. It was so bad. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, I'm F6 and I'm going to go outside and, and have a, have a, yeah. get a drink and then come back. Yeah. In fact, the most popular creature in April was Conclave Mentor, followed Wowie. by Bone Crusher <laughs> Giant. Hmm. What? Which I don't even remember who played Bone Crusher Giant at that point, unless that it was can't maybe possibly Mono be right. Red. That, well, there was a mono red Obosh deck. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that that's there's something wonky there. It 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 was it was 32, 32 copies across the challenges in April played Bone Crusher Giant. Also, Skycleave Apparition, one of the oh, top yeah. five creatures yeah. that month. Remember that card? I was just yeah. gonna say, yeah. remember Skyclave Apparition? What happened to that card? Lives on in historic. Solitude got printed. It's not that good in modern anymore. It's it, I know it's it's so hard to like even analyze it, but there's like a combination of like five or six things I think that makes Skyclave just not that well positioned in modern anymore. Yeah. And kind of what's kind of funny is um it used to be that Skyclave was like a lot better than Deputy of Detention back in this era of modern, but now Deputy of Detention is really good because Deputy is like good against Murktide and Urza Saga and and uh, Crashing Footfalls. <laughs> And uh, Skyclave just like doesn't line up well against you know footfalls and Murktide and a few other. I things. mean, Deputy blocks a Ragavan <laughs> for crying out loud, and, you know, and Skyclave doesn't. So that's that's a whole thing too. Yeah, some of the other top cards of April just for fun. Oriok Champion still towards the top of the list, of course, thanks to Heliod. Snapcaster Mage, thanks to all the Asperka popping around. Soulscar Mage, thanks to all the uh, Blitz that was going around at that point in time as well course that was the deck i was playing at this point in time 
this this is also I feel like in April, even though Heliod was quite good, and I always felt like Blitz had a really tough matchup with Heliod. This is when people really started to talk about how much they hated Lava Dart as a card. For sure, is where that that noise started to to come on more and more. In April, I'm also starting to see the creep up of Yogmoth. And I'm sure it was there a little bit before here, but it's in like the the six bucket, along with things like Jund and Hammer and Tight and and you know those are legitimate decks at the time. And and Yogmoth is certainly still existing and doing well uh, throughout 2021 in general. I think. Yeah, I remember like just Tom Ross and Aaron Barrett were both like holding the torch for the Yogmoth is going forward, and just everybody was watching them. It was so cool. It's one of those decks that has a really engaged community. I feel like there's a there's a number of yeah. people in our Discord who really love it. I know there's a bunch of people who consistently play it. Um, not a deck that I've tried extensively yet, but um, it's it's showed some staying power for sure. It recently won two challenges a couple weeks ago, right? Am I misremembering that? Or so just one? Well, it, it won yesterday's challenge. Oh, won yesterday's challenge. Yep, yep. And I think Demonic Tutors top eight it again today. <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah. Why not? Tutors has been killing with it. it. It is just one of the best decks in modern. And I think that you would see a lot more of it in tournaments and in leagues if it wasn't so complicated to play and so click intensive. Click intensive is like yeah. always a big negative for Magic Online. Yeah, sure. Yeah, the interesting thing with it is the clicks can do lots of different things, right? You you can once you have Yogmoth and an Undying creature, you can basically wipe your opponent's board. You can draw a ton of cards. You are playing chicken with your left total a little bit, but that's the fun part, I think. But anyway. Oh yeah, we got to keep moving on. Yeah, and the thing that happened that was big outside of Modern... Well, actually, there, there is one thing about Strixhaven that was really big for Modern, I think, in, on a number of formats. But, you know, of course, Strixhaven released at the end of April, and that was accompanied by the Mystical Archive. We all know what the Mystical Archive was, the greatest hits list of a bunch of spells with a really cool art and all that kind of stuff. Cards that sort of inexplicably were made historic, legal, and, in my opinion... Historic has never been the same since these cards were added. No, that this was this was the beginning of like the dramatic changes of historic. Yeah. And you know, think about it. Brainstorm, Mizzix Mastery, Time Warp, Faithless Looting, others completely dominated. That's not even the cards that were pre-banned. Do you guys remember uh, when Spike was on? I was on vacation in sunny Beaufort, South Carolina, and you guys were talking about the Mystical Archive, and you're like, maybe it's not going to be that big of a deal, and I had to come on and be like, this is just going to change everything. What are you talking about? Yeah. I don't remember that, but I believe you. I was really into like the wrong spells. I was like, <laughs> Manatide and Stone Rain. When oh, fact, okay, was, I remember this now, yes. When in fact it was Time Warp and Memory Lapse, but still. Oh yeah, I didn't. I totally forgot about Memory Lapse, another card that's been banned from from that as well. Um, man, I, it's, it's a bummer because I really was enjoying Historic towards the end of last year. We talked about this a bunch of times, and then when this happened, as much as these cards were really cards that I liked and liked to play with, I was like, this sucks. Now, I, <laughs> I literally never want to be in a game where someone could cast Mizzix's Mastery against me ever 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 again uh it's it still gets cast way too much like it's just it's just a dumb spell that should probably go yeah ever when you played in the pro tour were you and, and you had to play in a historic and standard tournament was this post or pre strixhaven it was pre i had a good time but it <laughs> yeah. i i don't really know anything about historic since that last uh pta q4 yeah. well there was one card in strixhaven that i think is worth talking about for a minute because it's a card that i think people except for stan uh, and Everett uh, underestimated and Todd. Um, and that card is uh, Expressive Iteration. Was kind of the one card, I feel like the only card in Strict Saving that was a real home run, and it's a huge one. It's become a staple in like 
every format. It's played in Legacy, I realized the other day as well in the kind of uh, Ragavan Daisy decks. They run, <laughs> they run Expressive Iteration as well. Good enough rate for Legacy somehow. How do you guys feel about the fact that that card was, was as good as you hoped it was going to be? Card good. Yeah. I remember I was playing it like 10 minutes after Strixhaven was legal on MTGO uh, and like a prowess deck. And the card was like, I remember tweeting like this card is like super impressive. And like all the replies were like, it's not better than light up the stage. Every <laughs> single reply. Uh, but yeah, the, the card is, is great. I think it is a well-designed card for the most part. Like it's very cool. And it's like really like, like as like a magic design nerd, I, I just I just love yeah. it. But it, it it's also like I don't know. I hate when my opponent top decks it. Yeah. <laughs> what can I say? It pulls you a lot of jams. Is, is that what it is? is? Is it just a feel bad when your opponent has it and they essentially use it yeah. to claw out of a, a tight spot? Yeah, but I mean I think the presence of cards like that that can claw you out of tight spots are good for magic, but it is it is definitely like such a feel bad when you're like so ahead and then your opponent just rips like three, they chain three together and you just lose. Yeah. 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 I do think it's a harder card to play with than it looks like it is still. Like you have to remember yes. when you can do it, what you're supposed to exile. Like yeah. you can't really mm-hmm. cast it on turn two, of course. Like that's just, you know, unless you really, really have to. And then, you know, it scales up a lot if you have a lot of mana later in the game, which I think is something that people maybe didn't realize quite as much. And that's, you know, I, I am a person who loves light up the stage ever. And so in prowess, there's still mm-hmm. moments where I'm like, I still, I still really like light up the stage and that kind of shell. But the thing about expressive iteration is you can play it in so many more decks than you could ever consider playing light up the stage in because you know, you can play it in a deck that's like, that's like Merktide or Mm -hmm. or any number of things like that, where late in the game you cast two and maybe you actually do get to cast two spells right off of it instead of doing the land plus a spell thing. And that's where it gets really, really wild. Stan, we have a pretty big change coming up to modern that you might've heard about this year. Where are we right before uh, middle of June, do you think, with the metagame? So in May, which I think is the month that comes before June, other other still pretty big, but Etron, Blitz, and Titan were the three most popular decks, followed very closely by Heliod Company, Ponza, and remember when Is It Through the Breach had a moment? Oh yeah. Escape Shift, Niv to Light, Burn, Regular Tron, Obosh, like red aggro stuff. Man, look, living end, in fact, hammer, like just this, just picture, snapshot these decks in your mind, <laughs> and then see where we go after Modern Horizons Two is released on June eighteenth. I think you're going to be surprised how many of these are still here, and then also there are, of course, a number that are not. Yeah, but... I mean, remember that June is uh, in this in this chart is at least half before Modern Horizons Two, right. so. And that being said, the the actual results that we got to look at the top decks for June, knowing that Modern Horizons 2 only impacted half the month is pretty staggering Yeah, because of how quickly we're going to see the impact. So I just want a question for you all. Do you think this is like this set is like the biggest change to modern ever, right? Like, I feel like this is a bigger impact than when they like banned Mox Opal and, and like Faithless Looting. I feel, feel like this is a much bigger impact even than Horizons 1 was, at least for a longer term than like Hogak and stuff. But what do you think? Well, we don't have a ton of like, I mean, Stan, thank you so much for trying to get us some objective data here. You know, the, the thing that I found that gave us, gave me a little bit of a snapshot of how much impact Modern Horizons 2 had on the format is, um, you know, there's a user, there's a, um, 
Magic Online player, the person who keeps the lifetime ELO ranking project going. His name is Adam. It's at Adjlevi on uh, on Twitter. And one thing that he does occasionally is look into five O's and look at the amount of the the amount of time that it takes for cards to get into five O deck lists. And someone asked this asked Adam towards the end of October, "Can you take a look at how many decks have run?" Modern Horizons two cards in five O deck dumped lists, and so since I mean, this is a tweet from October twelfth, so it's a little old at this point, but it's the only objective data I found since MH two was released. He had twenty seven hundred decks total, twenty seven ten decks total that he shared with people on Twitter, and only one hundred eighty five decks of those twenty seven hundred and ten decks, or six point eight three percent, had no new Modern Horizons two wow. cards in them. Only six, you know, seven percent of decks had no Modern Horizons cards. So if you want to talk about impact in a wild space like what five O deck dumps are, it's pretty, pretty huge. Yeah, I would say this is the biggest single set impact and the singest impact that wasn't bred from a ban or unban, so to speak. Whereas those types of fulcrum points will sometimes change up the format really significantly when they take something out like Faithless Looting or drop something in like Bloodbraid Elf. Um, and this is just like every unban and every ban rolled into <laughs> one, essentially. So, Spike, at this point, you were you were doing the full time streaming, right? And so you were you were grinding. And so, what what was your feeling about the impact of Horizons Two, I, both on your viewership and and on the gameplay of Modern? Oh, well, I think it's really improved the gameplay. I mean, at the very least, this has been my you know. It's, <sighs> I mean, there's so much to say about Modern Horizons 2, and obviously I've spent right. the last six months talking about nothing else, and that is definitely because I agree it's the biggest impact of Modern that we've ever seen, but I also think it I think it was a really, really positive impact. Like, you know, a, a, a lot of cards and decks that um, we're seeing a lot of play aren't anymore, but a lot of cards that weren't seeing a lot of play before are seeing a lot of play now, too. Like, it's you know, uh, the metagame has really shifted a lot, and I think the metagame is really, really good. I think that games are really, really interactive and interesting and skill-intensive, and you're, like, constantly rewarded for innovation, like, week after week. It's just kind of, like, everything I personally want in a format. What, what do you think are some of those cards that weren't seeing pre-MH2 that MH2 helped pave the way for? I would say, like, one of the biggest ones is Tarmogoyf. Tarmogoyf was a card that was not seeing... Uh, almost any play like until modern horizons 2 but it's like really actually really really strong and modern right now i think moldrifter is kind of like the hilarious one yeah that's a good point i'm i play like a hilarious amount of moldrifter now uh there's there's definitely a few other uh a few other ones that um maybe aren't immediately coming to mind i mean certainly like crashing footfalls is is one that was yeah, a card yeah. that you know a, a card that people played around with and because of shardless agent became consistent enough to be a real deck which was was interesting i mean just looking at the list of cards of the top cards in june that that stan put together which again this is like a sample but the ones that stand out to me are force of negation flies way up the list once this changes, yeah. which it's not like it wasn't seeing play before, but it got much more important than it used to be. Of course, Violent Outburst, um, Brazen Borrower goes up the list. Stoneforge Mystic makes a big comeback. Yeah, Stoneforge. For a while. Archmage's Charm is actually a card that I think was a had a big difference, and I don't quite know why. Like It didn't feel like people were playing it that much before. And then Counterspell. <laughs> Counterspell, Counterspell coming with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. It's just like you're incentivized to build your mana bases, like both with like blue instants and like a lot of blue symbols. And so like counterspell and charm being together, just like it's a very cohesive package. Yeah, yeah. So but I yeah, I think there were there's a number of different cards that that happen like that and, and certainly a few decks as well that's kind of changed. So we, we can talk about that more, more over time, but I, I guess for, you know, Everett kind of gave his opinion. I think overall for me, I still think it's, I, I agree for the most part. I, I think that the format's really fun to play at this point. I'm not, I mean, the, the modern horizons cards are super powerful. You see them all the time, but I still think that the games themselves are, are really fun right now. And I don't have too many where I just feel super frustrated or tilted off by them. But also for some reason, I'm someone who doesn't get tilted off by turn one Ragavan all that much. And so I feel like people who don't want to put interaction in their decks, they want to play combo-y decks. You know what I mean? Like those people still get punished for, for that. And I, you know, I can't say for sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but um, for me, it's been fun. I think what's interesting about the impact of MH2 that a lot of people criticize is that the gameplay and the matchups started to get very samey. And basically since June, we're seeing a lot of the same decks and cards stick around. And I hear that levied as a criticism of the set that I just sort of took over the format and now we all basically have to operate under the same terms regardless of what we play, we sort of have to play like some number of free spells or pitch elementals or Omnath or something, you know, that was made powerful because of the impact of this format. But I have personally found that as a positive where even though it's really samey, I think the games are really interesting and it kind of lets you be a little bit more of a format master and can potentially even reward the people who are more engaged in modern because not only are you more familiar with what your opponents are frequently doing, but I don't think any of the matchups are so lopsided that it's a true paper, scissor, rock environment. You know, with with footfalls, for instance, I often feel like a dog against a fairy decks, and yet they're still occasionally beatable. And I feel like a lot of that is going on where even though sometimes the deck might be favored, because the format got such a big injection of power for basically everyone that you almost have game against everyone, especially if you know what you're doing. Agree or disagree? I agree with uh, most of those points. Uh, I, 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 would, I would say that I, I have heard some sentiment that gameplay is samey, and maybe it's just because I'm always trying new things that I don't feel that way personally. That could just be my unique experience. But I will say as someone who's like trying new things every day, who's been trying new things like today, all day before this podcast, I'm finding success trying new stuff and innovating still six months after Modern Horizons 2. Um, but yeah, I, I'll also say it's important to note that like Modern will never be a perfect format. You know what I mean? It's it's never been one. It's never been... It's just always been flawed but fun, if that makes sense. And I, I think that it is still flawed but fun. Yeah, that's a, that's a great way to summarize it. I think that's the best we could ask for here. I guess that the one thing I would throw out here is that too is just think about the things that people were scared of when modern horizons first came out i mean oval <laughs> chase daredevil yeah. is what people yeah. were afraid of you know like people were afraid <laughs> of food decks and, and a couple other things that really like fell to the wayside really quickly those cards i think are going to come back someday too you know once once meta shift and make them more interesting or they get one last piece to bring them back up to the power level of everybody else like so there's st- there's plenty of stuff just that we saw that has disappeared from the meta and I think will come back again at some point. I mean, if you look at the June deck list, the fifth highest deck or not fifth highest, but 
in the second tier of frequency from Stan's little data exercise here is Urza's Kitchen. This is a big data exercise, Dave. Yeah, big data exercise. That's my favorite Clash song. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Horizons is a huge impact, and there's more to come to impact uh, our formats in in July. Oh, the first thing about July, uh, Pioneer Masters development is put on hold for an unspecified amount of time. Uh, marking the the year as the months roll by, still no Pioneer Masters. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. in July 23rd, we get Adventures in For- the Forgotten Realms. I feel like, I mean, just planting my flag, I feel like this is kind of a miss of a set largely. Like, I think the best long-term tools we have access to are the creature lands, which I think are are still pretty darn good. I think they're like, you know, Den of the Bugbear. I know Spike, you're a huge fan of, I love, yeah, use, yeah. I love playing with it. It's, it's this really solid uh, land, uh, the white and the blue one, I think have some, have some play as well in, in modern. And I think all of them do see some play in, in historic. So uh, those are some sweet creature lands for sure. But I feel like, you know, remember even like portable hole feeling like it was important, but then we got prismatic ending released right before the portable hole even had a chance to do anything i think portable hole was like a pretty early spoiler right so i felt i was like yeah i was pretty i was high on it for sure we talked about it and we were like this car is gonna be amazing and then modern horizons came out and then and then this set came out and we were like portable hole's never gonna see play because of prismatic ending now but but oh well portable hole was in the summer of legends oh emergency episode that's right episode. that's right <laughs> Yeah, Spike. I feel like Demilich was one of the cards that you had your eye on and tested a lot and played with a lot from AFR. What is? Do you think that there's a future to this card in any way, shape, or form? Yeah, well, I topped it challenge with Demilich a few months ago. I trophied with it like last weekend too, or something. Uh, like, I think that the Jeskai Phoenix Demilich deck is a deck that is really good against Ragavan. It's really good against Hammer Time. It's really good against Four Color and Blue White too. And then it struggles against like big mana decks uh, and combo decks. And uh, it also struggles when there is like a high amount of graveyard hate in the format too. So it's like not great against Gen Saga. I, I do think that this, you know, like I recently thought it was good in the metagame, like Grixis Shadow was like super popular. And I, I think that if you, it is a deck that can be successful in certain metagames, like a lot of different decks in the format, uh, it is also like one card away from being broken. <laughs> it, yeah. You know, it's just like, just like actually, actually, like if Gitaxian Probe was legal, the Phoenix deck would be like definitely tier one in my opinion. Yeah. I loved playing with this card after, after you shared that, that Jeskai list, uh, you know, not too long after this, probably in August, early August. I loved playing with Demi Lich. I went out and bought a set. It's definitely something that I want to have around because I think it'll be there someday. Again, you know, it's just one of those kits that is waiting for its moment. But it's a really fu- it's a really fun experience, you know. You have backups for your Phoenix. Demi Lich does a different thing. You really f- you just feel like you're cheating so much when you're playing the card, and it's 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 fun. My hot take is that Demi Lich is more powerful than Arclight Phoenix. I think that's a pretty good take, actually. I I feel I definitely could see that being true. What's what's wild about July here? Uh, sorry to to pivot off of Demi Lich as our friend is this is I think when we when Hammer Time becomes like the the true tier one of modern. Uh, when people realize, I think, how good Urza Saga is in it and how the deck can be built around Urza Saga, and we start seeing it be in, in Tier 1, uh, tying decks like Murktide and tying a uh, Cascade deck like Living End, um, and right also behind it is Crashing Footfalls. So the Cascade decks are up there with Murktide and, and Hammer Time, and they've pretty much been up there in Tier 1 or Tier 2 uh, since, I think, since since July, for sure. 
Yeah. Not only Urza Saga, but Esper Sentinel. I feel like that, uh, as a threat, did so much for the Hammer Time deck, too, where now you have to either tax yourself to play cheap attraction, which is really important against them, or play Fury and two-for-one yourself. Well, I mean, I guess it's a two-for-two. Sometimes you can wipe their board. But, you know, my point being, Esper Sentinel is such a frustrating card to play against, especially if you're playing a deck with Bolts or Dead and Gone or any other one-mana removal spells. Just like, well, now you're going to have a whole extra turn or I have to give you a card. And it's kind of lose-lose. Yeah, if you're Grixis, if you're Rakdos, if you're those kind of things where you feel like you would have a pretty good matchup against Hammer Time because your removal is good against them, Esper Sentinel does make it a lot a lot worse. But yeah, I mean, it's fascinating to look at the top decks from July versus the top decks from May. You know, you have Living End, Is It Tempo, and Hammer Time in the top tier and then in July. And then you have Indomitable Creativity, Crashing Footfalls, a four-color deck, a five-color elemental deck, WBR, which looks like Mardu Luracy deck, so it's probably just the riff off of the deck that you kind of put out in the world originally, ever. And then there's more Rakdos Luris after that. Yeah, I, I think that's rock. Yeah, you know, Amulet Titan goes from being one of the top decks in the challenges down to only three times, uh, only appearing three times. Eldrazi Tron falls far. People are still trying to play Blitz, but it's in the fourth or fifth tier at this point interesting to see it did you know made a huge made a huge difference uh speaking of big differences jumpstart historic horizons august 12th (laughs) uh this is where stuff got really wild for arena and for historic because we got a bunch of cards from horizons one horizons two directly added into historic and arena but this is where we started seeing the writing on the wall with digital only cards and digital mechanics on arena we got you know things like conjure and perpetual and seek And what's interesting is I largely feel like these mechanics didn't make a huge impact on the format, especially after like the Vesperlark combo was removed. But we'll see, of course, the return of this change to Arena a little bit later. So Everett, since you don't play any of the Arena formats, are you relieved that Modern is more likely than not immune from having these digital exclusive cards from ever entering the MTGO formats is it something that you would ever want to explore well i mean i do think that because modern is a paper format it it shouldn't get uh digital only cards but uh i i don't personally care if a card is digital only or paper if in the format i'm playing i all i care about is that formats are fun and that people can enjoy playing the formats you know uh and i i think that the the digital only cards make a lot of sense for arena um, and they're even like, I would love to have played historic, uh, if it weren't so just inaccessible to, yeah. to like even be a super enfranchised player. Like it is like, I think a lot of magic players really struggle with the fact that it is really just like irresponsible to, uh, maintain an MTGO and a paper collection and an arena collection. Yeah. Like it's, it's even like irresponsible as someone who has, I have a big paper collection and an MTGO collection. I don't use my paper collection at all. It's like usually like, players really should only like have one collection. And like, I think that that's a big part of the grief and the angst is that like there's, you just don't get to play at all despite being so enfranchised. And I, I think that that is a problem, but as far, as far as like these digital only cards go, uh, I think that they're cool. I think I know a lot of people enjoy them and I, I, you know, 
that's all I care about is that magic is going to be fun. Yeah. Right I on. will say this is when, when these cards showed up for historic, it's, it was kind of another nail in me feeling like their format wasn't particularly fun for me anymore, especially the modern horizon stuff showing up in here with, you know, I love being able to play Dragon's Rage Channeler and things like that in modern. It felt it started to make it feel a little bit samey with when they showed up in historic too, but they're powerful cards. You know, having unholy access to unholy heat in a format like historic solves some problems long term for the format, I I kind of think too. So even though it gets a little samey, it's kind of like maybe maybe they maybe it was a good decision ultimately, but it was enough for me to really be like, nah, I'm not I'm not coming back here for a while. I know that uh Stan and Shane still grinded on their phones at different times of the day occasionally, but moving on into October, Pioneer Master still hasn't launched on Arena yet. And let's take a look at Modern instead. So top decks in in October for Modern, Stan, things are starting to look a lot more familiar to how they are now. Indeed. Merktide Regent, Jund, Hammer, Burn, and Blink tied for the top spot appeared 10 times across challenges in October. But this is also, I think, where we see like Azorius Control really finally coming into its own and people really identifying how to build it. Uh, the power of Solitude, I think, is finally fully realized. It took somehow you know, three or four months for people to really, I think, say, hey, uh, Solitude's good. And all these counter spells and interactive and prismatic ending is good. So let's, uh, let's play them. And uh, Chalice of the Void. Oh, yeah. Remember that <laughs> card? It's a good card. So yeah, that was, I think, when we are really seeing the control deck starting to be truly tier one and modern again, and they have maintained that position for a couple months now. Yeah, also in October, Yogmoth gets to the top. So uh, Footfalls, Azorius, Yogmoth, and Living End are also essentially at the top of the tier in popularity, and Amulet makes its comeback after being all but absent for a couple months. Now, we did skip something at the end of September. We didn't talk about Innistrad Midnight Hunt. Um, it did bring a couple of good cards into modern, or at least good options into modern. One is uh, consider, consider, of oh. course, which is a card that I think people should not forget about. You know, it's your like I did in my show notes. Yeah, yeah, it's like your your second best blue cantrip in the format, probably. I guess uh, in some decks, it's going to be the best, of course. And then faithful mending was the, the huge, huge hype card out of midnight hunt which remembering now you know to play the jeskai phoenix decks that we were talking about earlier with demilich you need faithful mending so closer to the end of september when i was playing that but um yeah faithful mending another powerful card that was here for a minute it's floating around still um you know everett you've brewed a lot with faithful mending do you feel like it's it's kind of a real key piece in modern that people are gonna have to keep an eye on or what do you think about that card i mean it, it is just one of the best discard enablers in the format um I top it with the Phoenix deck. I want to challenge with the Esper Reanimator deck. The card's like super key in the Reanimator archetype. I've brewed around with it in a lot of other shells. And yeah, the card is really powerful. I think it is something that we're going to see in modern for a long time. And then moving into the close of the year in November, we also had the release of Innistrad Crimson Vow, which again, you know, mostly a standard power level set, but a couple of good cards showed up here. One of which I think that we're seeing a lot in modern is Chandra dressed to kill. The other one is cultivator Colossus turning up in amulets. Um, any other cards I'm forgetting about from Crimson Val that people are loving? I love wandering mind. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I, I'm glad, I'm so glad you brought that up because I have looked at those deck lists, but I haven't tried any of those out. Can you tell us a little bit about playing with that card? 
Yeah, I, I think that it fits in like a few weird deck lists, which is kind of very flavorful for the card. But I've liked it a lot in like 80 card, like slower, grindier reanimator decks or like, you know, um, I've also liked it. I have like this Grixis Unearth Brew and like Unearth Wandering Mind is like this crazy grindy engine that's just really powerful. And um, I, I've liked it in just like a few weird shells. The card feels strong. Four color uh, Omnath also just sometimes plays the card as a value card too where it just fits naturally with that Ephemerate shell in it. And then what's nice is that it adds a lot of consistency to your Yorion decks while also synergizing with Yorion and being like a blue and red card to pitch to Fury and Force of Negation, which is, you know, valuable. It just, it, like, it does like a lot of things. And like, you do have to have like a lot of synergy with the card to make it work, but it's it's really, really cool. I love that card. And then in Modern, it looks like we're seeing a lot of the same decks with like Murktide, Hammer, Blink, Azorius Control, Amulet Titan is cementing itself in the Tier 1 again. Uh, we start seeing, I think, a resurgence of Death Shadow, especially carried off of the back of like the Dressdown Shadow decks and both you, Spike, and Corey, I think, doing well with the style of decks. Um, and so, yeah, it's really doing well there. Yawgmoth and Jund and Crashing Footfalls, all those things are still sticking around through November, but not a drastic change from previous months either. Mm-hmm. Can I ask a little bit, Everett, what, what do you think about the difference between... You know, we've seen this Grixis. We've talked about this these Grixis Luris decks a number of times when, we've, when you've been on the show. Right now what do you think the motivation to play or not play death shadow is in, in these decks? Like where, what do you think about that in the metagame as it, as it goes right now? Um, okay. So if you're not going to put death shadow in your Grixis deck, the first step is to write a 200 page thesis and post it to Twitter <laughs> about, about why death shadow is actually completely unplayable in, in the format. Uh, done and, you, and, and done. After, and after you've done that, then you can start playing your Grixis control back. Yeah. But I mean, the reality is that the the Grixis Luris decks are like really good in Ragavan Mirrors. They're really good against Hammer Time. Um, they're better against blue white control than the Shadow decks are, but they are terrible, terrible against the four color Omnath decks. They like just like can't win that matchup ever. Um and like they, the power level of the of the Grixis decks without Shadow is also just a lot lower. Where like your matchup spread with your Grixis control decks is like really drastic. Where you have like a lot of really lopsided matchups in your favor, uh, and you have a lot of really unfavorable matchups too. Where the Grixis Shadow deck, all those percentage points are a lot smaller. Like mm-hmm. even like your worst matchups with Shadow are like forty five percent. You're forty five percent to win because your deck is so powerful, and you can just steal any game because you're a Ragavan discard spell deck with Shadow that can steal games with dress down right um and and so i think that like shadow is the more like and this is also something i found playing like rectos midrange versus grixis shadow is that grixis shadow is like the most powerful of all the decks but it, it also struggles with some lopsided matchups where it's like worse against uh aimlet titan it's worse against blue white control it's worse against uh mono greentron and it's worse against it's worse against four color than rakdos is where rakdos is like the best of all the rag of index against four color the best against blue white the best against titan the best against tron and so i do think that a lot of players are kind of solidifying themselves as like okay, i'm going to be a ragavan player a, a black based ragavan player in modern or a blue based one um, and I'm going to choose every weekend to play either Jun Saga or Rakdos or Grixis Shadow or Grixis Control or Murktide based on what the metagame looks like and what I think uh, you know has the best chance to win this particular weekend, which I think is cool. I think it that's sounds a really great good to place me. To be. I was going to yeah. say maybe maybe I should just yeah. consign myself to that fate as well. Um, yeah, I think it's a, a good place to be right now. 
And you get to play with a lot of new cards, a lot of cards you probably spent some money on recently, and also they they are fun interact. I I still think that those are fun interactive games with a lot of things you have to think about. Now, you know, Ragavan does snowball people sometimes, where all of a sudden you're like, oh, I cast five spells on turn three. Don't ask me how, but like, there's a lot of interesting things there. Well, yeah, thanks for that breakdown for sure. I was just one of the most interesting decks I've seen in that vein recently was the one that TSP Gendrick top aided with a couple weeks ago that only had Ragavan and Snapcaster. And I was like, oh, okay, so Grixis with no threats now. And we're when we're we're cool with that. Kind of a spike deck if I ever saw one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I feel like that's uh I don't know. Like it's especially all my versions of these decks are like the way more threat heavy versions, mm-hmm. but maybe like maybe a younger version of me. I don't know. The more controlling. Yeah. All right. So obviously we don't have the complete picture for December and I only have data up to, but not including this weekend. And so far, Yogmoth trending very well, um, appeared four times across the challenges along with Murktide, Hammer Time, Grixis Shadow, and the False. Oh, and Blink. Blink is still in there. Who knew that Omnath was a good card? I'm going to run Blink through a league. Do it. And then I'll tell you about it in two weeks when we come back. From our winter vacation. We also got Alchemy in December. That was a thing. Yeah. Has anyone played with any Alchemy cards? I have not played with any Alchemy cards. I played with like one of the digital-only cards from a few months ago, like the Jumpstart Horizons one, uh, the the hasty red one. But I have not played with any of the, the Alchemy-based ones, no. And you haven't run into them too much in your recent climbs around in uh, in arena, have you? No, surprisingly few on the historic ladder. I've been playing a lot. Like I, I made, I made mythic. I, I've made, I've made top one thousand mythic. Oh, really? Wow. And I mean, for now, this it's you. I will get pushed out very, very soon. Um, but yeah, the the best one I've played against is the. I think it's a white two drop three one that fetches another copy of the three one that you have to play that turn so like if you have four mana and you play one you just get immediately six power on the board for one Is card it the angel of unity no it's 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 i don't know it's it seems it's very snowball-y like it's very like i'm ahead and i'm staying ahead type thing and it's it's powerful for sure it seems quite good uh, I think any of those cards that tutor another one out of the ether are, I mean, all these cards have good bodies. I mean, they're, they're bodies with ETBs. And so it's just like, wow, like a lot of them are very pushed to see play, which makes sense. Like you want people to play these cards, right? Yeah. yeah I've been seeing Tenacious Pup come up a bit. Yes. Yeah. With the, the werewolf style decks. Yeah. And then I've been playing Frenzied Geist Blaster as my two drop in Phoenix. This is the... 2-2 two, two, prowess for two. You discard a card and then it grabs a random instant sorcery from your deck. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That one's that one. Yeah, Is that that's that's for for sure good. Yeah, it's pretty good, pretty fun. So they also this is when they basically said Pioneer Masters is not going to be made for like a couple of years, if ever. Uh, so R.I.P. Pioneer on Arena, which is a bummer. Yeah, I'm very very unfortunate. I, I forgot to mention something in November. So you know, as we gone through the year. Every month, we had top cards. Every month, Lightning Bolt was the most played card in Modern. Perhaps not a surprise. I think that's generally the case in the format's entire history. But in November, for the first time, Lightning Bolt was surpassed. The most played card that month was Expressive Iteration. Mm, Wow. Yeah, Lightning Bolt wasn't even in top five. It was Expressive Iteration followed by Ragavan, Bobble, Dragon's Ridge Channeler, Unholy Heat, and Counterspell, and then Bolt. That's wild. That's incredible, actually. Yeah. The two mana draw spell would be the card. 
I'm not really surprised. Lightning Bolt kind of sucks in modern. <laughs> to be honest, I'm, it's the, the card is not that good. Uh, it's a hard pill to swallow, but it's just yeah, not that good. You are hurt. You are hurting me a little bit, but yeah. but you know that's all right. <laughs> but we we want the truth. So that that was the year. A lot of lot of decks, a lot of cards. It was kind of interesting to see the turning point that MH2 brought in completely upending the metagame and even seeing how some of the old familiar favorites that were powerhouses like Heliod and Blitz in particular just basically non-existent now. And Mono Red, Obosh Blitz kind of making a little bit of a resurgence. Or Boros Blitz, I, I guess it is. But otherwise, it's a brand new day. I think we're probably mostly for the better. I, I think we, I know Spike definitely likes the impact of MH2. Dave, I think you do too. Yeah. Shane? Oh yeah, for sure. The format is much more interesting, I think, both to us and to others. I mean, it's been a great year to focus on modern content. It's been a great year to play modern. So I, I like it quite a bit. I think that it's it's definitely revitalized uh, our interest in, in the format and given us a lot to talk about and pay attention to. And I think it's been a really interesting format since then. And now we're going to go through and make some on-the-fly lists of hot takes to share with everybody to reduce all the reasonable discussion we just had down to a screaming match. Stay with us. We are back and I'm, I'm amped for this segment of the Dive Down. It is our first annual second i I don't know it's like we didn't we never we've done awards before but i feel like this is going to be maybe a a more fleshed out and fun uh and maybe a little bit goofy in terms of the uh, awards that we sort of made up with ourselves and get a shout out to the to the the patreon community just to give us some ideas for awards categories let's say third annual to mark year three of dive downing yes i mean we have i think we've done something like this every year so yep Let's just let's just head into it. You don't have a ton of time. So what I what I thought the first thing we should do is the cards of the year. And let's just go straight into it. What are your all's best card of the year? For me, it's Violent Outburst. Whoa. Uh, wow. It's just like, I mean, when you think about how the Cascade Valky deck was just broken, and then you also had the Tibbles Trickery deck, which was so annoying when they had that instant speed Cascader. And that instant speed cascade is still just, you know, wrecking a lot of players in both the Living and Rhinos of the Glimpse of Tomorrow decks too. I feel I feel like that card has been like a, a quietly format defining card and my pick for best of the year. That's really good. That's really good. That's that's definitely a longer time span than my cards. It's just fascinating true point that something that people knew. I mean, people already played Violent Outburst and Living End for a long time, but it just really has had quite a year like um out of nowhere with a broken mechanic on a card that really doesn't ever the rest of the text doesn't often do stuff although sometimes they do get those extra points of damage off of it that you if you don't watch yourself against rhinos sometimes they'll just cast one for quote-unquote value and you're like oh my god i took i thought i was gonna have three life left and now i'm dead instead uh-huh. but um what's your card right, dave I had a tough time picking this, but I'm just going to go with the obvious one, and I'm just going to say it's Ragavan. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on jerk. this. Ragavan, people love it, people hate it, uh, but I think in a way that Violent Outburst was format-defining, I think you know Ragavan is equally format-defining at this point in time, and it, it does so much for that type of deck. It is what it is. Also, one of the most expensive cards of the year. It's well, it it has had the flattest price of any card in Modern Horizons two. It has been exactly like seventy five 
or like 80 TCG mid on the uh, MTG Goldfish price chart for the entire year, which is outrageous because there's been lots more product opened. Uh, I think Ragaman has just been the longest and most significant impact from Horizons 2. It's kind of hard to look at Ragavan in isolation from like DRC, but I think it's it's more important to the format in the decks that it's played in. It's just a must answer snowballing threat on turn one. The dash ability gives it other strategic implications. It gives you mana. It gives you mana fixing. It gives you potential card advantage. Like a few years ago, our two power red one drops had to have drawbacks. <laughs> in 2021, Ragavan can just utterly annihilate your opponent on by like turn two or turn three. I mean, that's kind of a bit of an exaggeration, but I think it's the creature of the year for me uh, in terms of format impact. Mine's expressive iteration. That's a good one. That's that. That's a very good choice. Yeah. Where I think it's not even just the best card of the year in modern. It's just like the card of the year for magic. It's important in standard legacy. I'm sure it's good in pioneer. I, just haven't looked at a Pioneer deck. and I'm sure that if Phoenix is tier one, and I'm sure it plays it. Yeah. Yeah, Expressive Iteration, good card. Pris- Fun totally art. agree. Prismatic Ending is my honorable mention, just because of its impact and its flexibility. Yeah, like, yeah. it both made stuff happen, and it made stuff not happen. Like, it made decks go away. Its exile ability is is wild. It made he- it made, essentially made Heliod into nothing after being, like, just the tier one deck. Uh, I mean... It's. I mean, I know there's more than that, of course, right? But I, I think I honestly think prismatic endings in that negative to the format. I think it takes away more than it adds, but it's not going anywhere. I think prismatic ending is worse is worse being there than than not. Oh wow, we're gonna talk about this right now, huh? I have to totally disagree. I can't. I really think that the 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 format needs a safety valve for amulet, honestly, and cards like that that kind of don't punish you for running. Uh, cards that just get rid of these weird, random, powerful permanents that are hard to interact with in a way that lets you do it. Now, it is, you know, it's it's always at mana parity, right? Yeah. Like, the casting cost is kind of built into it in that way. It has a hard cap on what you can do with it. You can't get and rid of things. speed, too. No, no, yeah. look, I, I'm not saying it's not fair. I'm not saying it's a bad card. I'm just saying I think that it's 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 eliminating more than it's adding. Oh, which see, maybe I is think okay. the opposite. Yeah. I think the problem isn't with prismatic ending. I think the problem is with triumphs and making prismatic ending basically a free cat vindicate yeah. in like so many decks. Where I think if Ragnar and Triumph don't exist, then blue white control like maybe would have a bigger cost to like. For what it's worth, I think I think blue white control should be playing Stevens instead of Triumph if they're only going to play one extra color. I know that they a lot of times play breeding pool now too, but it's like. If you need that third color, a lot of times you need it right away, and it's like you got to yeah. you got to get it untapped. Uh, I, but I, I think that's a great point about the triumphs, especially in the four color decks. Uh, triumphs, I think, have like a really quiet and really really big impact on modern. Yeah, we I think we we historically have been kind of a little bit negative on their impact, but I yeah they're they're huge. Let's. Or is it fetch lands that are the problem? Well, that's all tangent. We don't have time yep. for. So what's what's your what's your <laughs> top non twenty twenty one card? What do you think the biggest twenty non twenty twenty one printing is? That's and that's from our buddy Craig. So Everett gave his in violent outburst. Do you have another non twenty twenty one card that you would put towards the top of the list? Uh, yeah, Lurus. yeah, yeah. Exactly. It has <laughs> yeah, to be. It has yeah, to be yeah. That yeah. was that was on my short list. I, I had yeah. three. I had Luris. I also had Omnath. Which I think came out last year, but yeah. time 
is immaterial. <laughs> Teferi Time Reveler is also the third one that I think is a very important card now and just weirdly keeps getting more and more important, I think, as time goes on. Tower Wolf is like better than it's been in like the last five years in modern. It's crazy, yeah. Since Fatal Push is printing, maybe? Yeah, since Fatal Push is printing, I'd say. My card on this list is Mishra's Bobble, which was already plenty good and then got Dragon's Rage Channeler and Luris, of course, last year was already doing its its thing with Bobble, but Bobble's certainly had a good year on its own as well. Yeah, I mean, I think, I just feel like Bobble stayed good and Luris sort of just got realized as just how amazing and annoying it is. Like, it just, it works in aggro mid-range and even like some of these low-to-the-ground control decks where it's just like, hey, uh, Hammer, you get to steamroll people and have a grindy endgame. You get, you get it both. Mm-hmm. But we've talked a lot about Luris, so let's don't belabor that point. Other than to just not in agreement and yes. move on. Jason. Best supporting card. Jason, Jason. Best supporting card. Yeah. What do you what do you think, David? Uh, how, how did we interpret this question? Well. Because I think it, I, I wasn't entirely sure what the intention was behind it. I, I, I thought a card that you a card you can't build around. That's kind of what I what I used it for. So my, I'll, I'll tell you my picks. So you can tell me if what you think my thought process was here. So, uh, unholy heat. It's, it's a card you can't really build around, but it does a ton for you. Uh, engineered explosives, a card you can't build around, but does a huge amount for you. It's one of the most, played, Unless you're Urza. it's one of the most <laughs> played cards in the format. Uh, I think EEs become even more important this year. Uh, it's the, the prevalence of tokens, the lower, uh, average CMC of permanence, excuse me, mana value of permanence. Uh, it's an artifact. It can be run in any deck. So that's my supporting card of the year. And then a holy heat just for power level of support. So on my, I, this is where I had expressive iteration as the best support card in my mind. So I, I just had it here instead of in my card of the year category for me, same thing. It's a card, it's a card you use for value more than part of a combo or as a threat, that kind of thing. Yeah. I think Bobble would be my card here. It's just like, maybe the best enabler in modern for delirium and for Luris and for I'm mostly those two, but it, it's just, it's, it's so format defining. It's just so format defining yeah. and like so many cards would crumble underneath. It's like removal of support, you know? Yeah. Stan, what do you have here? Yeah. It, I, I kind of can't decide. It's either fire ice or dead and gone. Whoa. Dead just, gone. It, you have been playing a lot of Cascade, so yeah. And the more I play Cascade, the more I realize that Dead Gone is like yeah. the second best card in that deck. <laughs> just <laughs> does so much. Fire and Ice is a good pick. I mean, that's just a super solid card. I think people were kind of like, "What's this going to do?" And then everyone was like, "Kind of a lot." Yeah, I think for me, when I first saw those lists, I was like, "Oh, people are playing this card because they have to in this deck." And then you watch someone who knows what they're doing with the deck, and you're like, "Oh, yeah." All the different things do something here. Yeah, I was having a conversation with someone about the impact of Fire Ice in Blood Moon decks and how almost every other Blood Moon deck these days can have some path of getting Blood Moon down on two. And Fire Ice kind of helps thread that needle where although you can't necessarily rush out the Blood Moon, you can more or less time walk your opponent, especially if you're on the play and just ice down their land, their upkeep on turn two. And then when you get a Blood Moon down the next turn, it's like against decks like... Grixis Shadow or some of these four-color decks is pretty much lights out. I also had Consider on my list, for what it's worth. Oh, yeah. I had Consider as the the other support card. All right, next category we had, this sounds like a Shane one, worst hyped 
card. And I love, I love hating on hyped cards because I, I hype them a lot myself. Shane loves to check the receipts and remind us when he was right. So why don't you? But go I was, first? I was wrong about all of these. I think, well, half of these. Okay, I, I think, here, I think the actual worst type card is Imperial Recruiter. Mm. Uh, I think it didn't make any real impact on modern at all. It hasn't really revitalized old decks. It hasn't made any new good decks. I think Imperial Recruiter is the worst type card. My honorable mentions are Ignoble Hierarch and Calder Complete. Wow. Okay. I mean, Hierarch's up there, top bidding with Okay, Yacht hold on. Okay. Yeah. I, I, but I, the, the way we hyped it was this is going to have the biggest impact on the set. Like we we thought that ignoble hierarch we like we were very very high in ignoble hierarch because we thought it was just going to slot into a lot of different decks and make a very big difference. I mean, I'm not saying that. I mean, that's why it's an honorable mention that we includes you, Spike. I remember you're into this card too. <laughs> I like ignoble hierarch a lot. I still like ignoble hierarch a lot. I yeah. don't think I I don't think I said it was the most impactful. In the no, I think we were, no. we were we were higher on it um, than its actual impact. Is basically yeah. where I'm at. Okay, that's 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 totally fair. Yeah, I mostly thought that it was going to go into like a mid rangey value exactly. deck, and it like I thought it was going to go in John, and John was going to do its thing. It was going to be like a bad death right shaman, but be good enough for the deck. But modern's not really always about in those mid range decks. It's not necessarily about ramping into a three drop on turn two anymore, unless you're trying to do Blood Moon, right? And so. It just how I think about it. But Hierarch has definitely found a home in, in other places. Like you said, it's in Yawgmoth, it's in Goblins, it's in other places. So I wonder if the reason it's better in combo decks that where it essentially ramps you into a combo or fixes your mana, especially in Yawgmoth's case, is that, you know, an example like Jund, Ignoble Hierarch is never the card you want to buy back with your Luris. And you kind of need to make sure all of those cheap creatures or any cheap permanent is something that is worthwhile getting with Luris so that you can like maximize turn four when you cast it. You're also not ramping in three drops if you have Luris. <laughs> yeah, just, that's just saying. Yeah. I also think a big part of like higher not paying in Jund is that me and I think most people really underrated Dragon Rage's channeler mm-hmm. where I think a lot yeah. of us like realize this, this could easily go in like red, red aggressive decks. And I don't think I, I definitely didn't realize just how great it would be in every red deck with a, uh, with Bobble, and it's like Rag, you have Ragavan uh, higher, which means Rag, Ragavan uh, Channeler, which means you don't really need higher as much. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Yeah, that's definitely my most overlooked card, or my, my most underrated card by myself is DRC. Yeah. 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 What's what's on yeah. your worst typed card list, y'all? <laughs> grief for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, grief is grief, grief is a good modern card. Like I've I've won a challenge with grief at this point, but but also like. I, I it was like not an uncommon thing during spoiler season right. to see people going, uh, grief needs to be pre-banned. <laughs> yes. Grief is going yes. to one hundred percent be banned. And just like grief is a playable modern card for sure, but it's like fringe playable and it's not close to being banned. And like that that it did not live up to that level of crazy. Yeah, e- even doing the thing that people were afraid of, I've lost I've lost doing that so many times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I also had grief, but in the interest of conversation, my honorable mention there was subtlety. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that is a great, maybe probably a better a better choice because I, th- I thought that was a worse card though, like clearly worse, right? I don't know. Well, at the very least, like people expected it to be, I think, a staple of blue decks. I will say, I, I will say, like when you were evaluating it though, like Tron and Titan were like tier one decks, and subtlety is like good against Tron and Titan. Yeah, and like those decks have like become more fringe. You have other options against them in any deck, really. But it's but yeah, so subtlety went from what people thought people thought it would be good in modern to like close to unplayable. And now I think only Merfolk plays it. 
yeah, it's like merfolk. Occasionally, you see it in like living end and some other decks, mm-hmm. but it's like pretty uncommon. It's so uncommon that I sort of forget what it does, and I don't see it coming <laughs> when someone plays it. Yeah, so yeah, sometimes you get got by. It. <laughs> yeah. It's the bad aether ghost. Yeah, I mean, when I was playing the amulet, I had some. I for, I even forget what I think it was four color elementals brought it in against me when I was on amulet, and they cast it two in a row on my titans, and I was like, well, I'm just dead now. Dave, do you have anything new on the list? Uh so I, I'm conflicted about this one, but the card that came to mind for me was actually Faithful Mending, not because it's not a playable card, but because I think people thought it was going to have a lot more prevalence than it did, and it just, yeah, for sure. you know, it's been a role player so far, it made, a, you know, a couple of, I mean, it's a really great animator, like like you said earlier, Everett, it makes that Jeskai Phoenix deck possible, but it's, I think that people thought it was going to be all over the place, and it's just not, but still a good card. How about Overperformer of the Year? Cards you did not see coming i feel like there has to be there's only re- one real answer i think it's unholy heat like i think well i think it was i think channeler too channeler yeah, like, in the very in the very same vein the two cards go well t- together i think they're really underrated yeah i mean i think people i think people underrated the good part of drc which was this like the 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 ability to cycle through your deck and they thought they were just getting like a a three three flyer all the time but like they just thought it was delver yeah they thought it was delver yeah, I will say about Unholy Heat was that it was spoiled in like the big dump at the very end. And so like I, I like didn't read it until or like maybe I glanced at it, but I didn't read it till like two days after. And I read it like this card is nuts. What? How did I how did I totally miss this? Yeah, I think it was one of the last cards we got to talk about in our spoilers, like added it at the very, very end. and was kind of like, I think this could be a thing, but we didn't have a ton of time to talk about yeah. it. I have dressed down on my list. Yeah, I thought dress down could be really. I look like trash to us when we were looking at it, but you can never underestimate a permanent that draws a card when it comes into play, and it costs two mana. So that was my overperformer of the year. I think Shane, you got you were talking about a channeler. Unholy Stan, heat. Do you have anything other than on unholy heat channeler? I just said dress down. Teferi. I, th- I think just the way Teferi impacts or or interacts with a lot of what MH two is about turned out to be pretty important as well, and. In a way, like he's the bad guy, but he also like keeps some of the other bad guys in check. Yeah. All right. So that's it for our single card spoilers. Anybody have anything else that they want to throw out in the single card category that we we missed or didn't get a chance to talk about? There's a lot of good cards. A lot of good ones. There were a lot of good cards printed this year. In fact, this is the year where the most cards for Magic were ever printed, but that's news for another podcast. Uh, let's move on to our decks category. So we had a couple of different thoughts here. One was what decks we loved first i think what were your favorite decks to play spike i, I kind of want you to ans- answer this one first i feel like you played the most decks what's what's your deck of the year do you have a deck of the year red black mid-range that's probably it i think that kind of like has to be it like that was my favorite deck to play it was like a big driver in the trophy race it won vegas like the the winner of vegas was playing you know two cards different on the sideboard a lot of people played it in vegas which was really cool that was probably mine but but I, I don't know. I like maybe if you asked me last week, it would have for sure been red black. But I've been like loving Jeskai Lotus Field so much like the last two yeah. weeks. I've been like I've been winning a, a ton with it. The deck's been like crazy strong for me. And I, I don't know. I just I just I've loved this year. This has been one of the best years of my entire life. And I, it's, it's really hard for me to like just pick like one <laughs> deck that that I'm super attached to. 
That's awesome. I think it's great to have one pick with your head and one pick with your heart ever. That's totally yeah. fine. Aww. If, yeah. if your head yeah. is, is rectus pleuris <laughs> and your heart is, is lotus, uh, lotus field, I got no problem with that. I think that's my answer then, yeah. I would say that my for my main pick, my, my head pick here would be rectus midrange as well. You know, like I said, like I mean, like Everett said, really cool deck. You know, he talked about where it popped up. The main thing for me is that it's a deck that's so good that I even got a trophy with it, which does not happen ever. <laughs> only happened once. And, um, you know, it's one of the first times that I really enjoyed a mid-range deck in Modern. And uh, so I've really, I really enjoyed playing that. But my heart pick, if you want to know what my heart pick is, uh, it's Obosh Prowess from the Doomwake list from recently. I've had a lot of fun playing that for the last month or so. Took it to the store championship, had a fun time with it there. It's nice to see people doing well with it. I've kind of thought that it was just a fine deck, but there are a couple people who are really into it. A couple, you know, there's one person who's top eighted last week's challenge and this week's challenge with lists that are really close to the one that I've been playing, the one that Doomwake put together also. It's just a lot of cards that I like in it. And I just really, really think Chandra Just to Kill is a cool card. And uh, I've enjoyed playing that card a lot. Stan, what's your deck of the year? I mean, it's got to be footballs. Yeah, it's got to be, right? I, I I latched onto it pretty early. I liked it right off the bat. I've kind of gotten better at it over time. I keep going back to it. So that that's the one that I would say is, is definitely the head. If I had to pick a deck with my heart, like it pains me to say it. I'm not really good with it because I don't give enough credit to how difficult and, and sophisticated this deck is but it's it's murktide like it has bolt and counterspell <laughs> and expressive iteration mm-hmm. like my three favorite cards basically and i can barely win with it even though it's like still one of the most popular decks i think it's still very powerful i just i really struggle with it and i think it's that's my room to grow as a modern player i think mine for modern is Orzov Reanimator. Uh, it's just a deck I had the most fun playing with and iterating on. And then I actually think my my favorite deck has weirdly come into this month because I played by far the most with it of any deck of the year. And it's this modern uh, mono red historic deck uh, that tops off with Torbran and is just outrageous. It's just it's so it's just so fun. There's a lot of fun lines. There's a lot of cards I love casting. Uh, it wins a lot of games, and yeah, it's just fun to play a deck just a lot and uh, and and win with it. So yeah, mono red and historic and Orzhov reanimator. I, I briefly want to talk about just you don't even have to you don't even have to talk about why. But is there a deck that you just love to hate, like your least favorite deck of the year that you like faced off against or just like really hate the play patterns of? John Saga. Cascade Valky. <laughs> Cascade Valky. Fair. Um, and also Heliod, too. Yeah. I have Heliod on my list is what, yeah. what I have. I shed no tears about the fact that that deck <laughs> is not around right now. Yeah. Um, my secret deck that I hate to love and also love a little bit, or <laughs> love to hate and also love a little bit, is what we talked about last week. Is no. I'm, I'm warming up to Amulet. No, not you gonna, monster. Not going to lie. You guys made me play it finally. And I'm like, it's kind of fun. Cultivator oh, Colossus makes it fun. Careful, your brain might explode out of your head with all this <laughs> knowledge that you gain from learning to pilot amulet. It's uh, a what's your relationship project? with that deck, Spike? Because I don't think I've ever seen you play it. I've I've probably played amulet like for maybe two hundred matches, which is not a lot of matches for me with a modern deck, to be honest. 
But I I, I, I I enjoy playing against it. I am proficient with the deck. It's not one I have a big attachment to. Uh, I hate footfalls. I think Cascade is super annoying. I think Cascade is now antith- like it's antithetical to what its original idea was. Like I don't like control combo decks existing in general. Uh, yeah, I know. I know the combo is just cast a card and it's not an instant win combo. So like I feel like Footfalls is kind of safe and okay for modern, but it's just like I don't like it. I don't like playing with it or against it. So get out of here. Yeah, I my favorite story of with uh, Cascade Footfalls is Shane refusing for months to believe that it was a real deck constantly being like is that deck even any good how good could this deck be why is that deck still around stan why are you playing that deck it's that can't be a real deck and then you know it's just (laughs) it's just there all the time it it is a real deck all right we got to move on let's let's we want to have a quick in memoriam segment to some of our fallen fallen decks and formats of the year Uh, all right r.i.p heliod R.I.P. Green Tron, R.I.P. Eldrazi Tron, am I, am I forget? R.I.P. Uh, Cascade Valky. <laughs> Man, Green Tron gave me such a run during the trophy race. Like Prince was like the only person playing Green Tron was trophying with it constantly. It was just a nightmare for me. So I still like just fear the deck so much. <laughs> yeah, I got a couple additions. Yeah, please. In memoriam, taxes. Yeah. You remember Taxes? R.I.P. Aethervile. R.I.P. Humans. Yeah. Um, also, Esperka. Mm-hmm. Kaya's Guile, basically. Just, like, not really a card in this yeah. format. Endurance. No, it's just, it's just green, baby. You got green now. Uh, here's here's what I have for I prepared a little. I prepared a little something here. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the moment I wanted to take to, to thank Prowess. Uh, Mono. Uh, Blizzard. Blizzard? Is it Blitz? For all the time that we spent together recently, <laughs> the fun times we had, the qualifying for mana traders that we had together, I'll see you. I'll see you around the bend someday, Stormwing Entity. Probably never. <laughs> Please don't sue us, Sarah McLaughlin. Someone cast someone cast a Stormwing Entity against me the other day. I think I was actually playing Historic, um, and I I play on Holy Heat and Historic, and I was just like, ha ha ha, nice job casting two spells. That I'm about to ruin your whole career with my one mana red removal. So brutal. Yeah. Well, you know, it was fun for a moment. Uh, I also have Scourge of the Skyclaves. Oh, yeah. On there is something that was fun for a minute. I loved having a deck that had eight Death Shadows in it, basically, for a while there. But just don't need it right now uh, with the way that that Modern has turned out. Uh, And then we we already talked about Skyclave Apparition earlier, so that would be another card that I thought was cool that was here for a moment and now gone. And then, of course, uh, you know, as far as my opinion goes, RIP Historic for me. I'll I'll see you around, buddy. Maybe some other time. Almost official RIP Digital Pioneer. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, there's it's digital on Moto. I don't know. Yeah. It's there. It's pretty vibrant on Moto, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the people who play it really like Pioneer. From what from what I can tell, like the people who oh, play yeah. it, they really, really like it. And I don't know if that's Stockholm syndrome or you know gambler's fallacy, but they like it. They like it for sure. Yeah, I mean, Dom Harvey won the Pioneer Challenge today, I think, and tweeted out that he thought that Pioneer was the best balanced format in Magic right now, which I thought was pretty interesting. And he's like, and I, and he's like, and that's not just because I won today. So, yeah. um, you know, interesting to, I mean, there are a lot of people there. I, I, I'm, I'm almost a little surprised because I thought is it Phoenix was just like far and ahead, the best deck in the format. And it was even starting to push some people out. 
I, I haven't gotten that impression from from Twitter, but you know, I haven't dipped my toe in in a while. All I know is that Is It Phoenix is not running Treasure Cruise in Pioneer all the time. I saw someone top aided with a deck with no Treasure Cruises, and they have the that's, Time that's Walk. Me. They have the Delve Time Walk from from Fate Reforged instead, and I was like, "What? What is this?" Okay. <laughs> A good transition there because there's some individual cards that fell off this year I, I want to highlight. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Scourge of the Skyclave. Y'all remember Cleansing Wildfire? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was a card. Are you playing it right now? You're probably playing it right now, right, Everett? Yeah, I, I have like three trophies with it the last week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's because you're a robot, right? You're, you're MTG Hall of Fame bot. I am. But I feel like you're actually... You're the reason I got like wildfires and flagstones, and I, I want to say I played them for like maybe a month. Yeah, that deck was so I, I love that deck. Sure. Yeah, but it's time has passed. Arbor Elf, y'all remember how huge Arbor Elf? It was in Heliod. It was in Ponza. It was probably elsewhere. Yeah, kind of yeah. absent these days. Path to Exile. <laughs> Hey, I'm playing with Path. That, that card, that card's that's I, it's still around. I think that's the one thing that like a lot of like modern players they come back to Modern Horizons two. Like Path to Exile, Modern Horizons two made Path to Exile obsolete. It, it card's been like pretty bad for a long time. I feel it's also a necessary tool for some decks. Still, I mean, like yeah, you know, it, it does feel so. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, like I've, I'm playing. I you played in that Boros Prowess deck in the sideboard so that you can kill a Titan because you can't you can't rely on Delirium enough to be able to do it. So. Or a Fury or something like that. You know, anything above two man, yeah, two yeah. CMC. Yeah, it's mostly a sideboard card these days. All right, we talked about some downfalls. Let's talk about some uplifts. What was your magic experience of the year? Spike, please lead the way because we're all really living vicariously through you at this point. My, my magic experience of the year, the best thing was when the Dive Down crew invited me to be on their <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Okay. Every, uh-huh. every night I got to be on the Dive Down podcast was the best part of the year. Uh, all right, I'm going to maybe maybe I'll gloat for you. I think your first trophy race had to have been, what, two, three months ago now? Yeah, But like the that. first time you did that in Modern, like, that was the modern event of the year, basically. Yeah, like people coalesced around that, I feel like. It was awesome. It was pretty cool, yeah. A lot of hype, a lot of viewers, a, a lot of, I think, fun games. People were really invested in, in uh, you and everyone else who was involved. Yeah, there, there's a lot of emotions and feelings that happened with me this year. You know, I went from, you know, enjoying full time streaming and being able to pay the bills to like being a really successful streamer. And uh, just the amount of like love and support and fun I've had this year is really overwhelming. And it's, you know, it's just I, I, I feel very happy this year. It's been really, really good. And the trophy race was like a really good, I think moment as a part of all of that but it's just been everything it's been that in vegas and the hunter burton and like my technical issues with like the stream starting off and uh the ups and the downs just everything has been so good yeah you want a modern challenge for the first time this year yeah yeah I, yeah that is that is true yeah yeah man you killed it i'm glad uh that we are still associated with you uh for all the success yeah you i mean you've been uh, you got uh signed by cfb yeah yeah how did i don't know how i forgot that but that was huge it still is huge i love doing the cfb content yeah you're their rookie of the year yeah <laughs> Did you sign my baseball card <laughs> yeah ever we really i mean we're all really proud of you you've been grinding for a while and and this year it really seemed to to all come together so congratulations to you and all the awesome uh magic experiences you had this year yeah, couldn't happen to a nicer person i have to say 
It could have, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it could happen to Dave. <laughs> it could happen. Yeah, yeah. Man, I, I don't know. Well, like, what are your all's favorite magic experiences? I feel like I didn't have a ton. I got to be honest. I beat some really good players at magic. Like that, those are the things that stand out to me. Even when I do poorly, it's like I went one four in a league, but my one was a win against Wafu Tapu, and it's like yeah, Wafu Tapu, Wafu Tapu, and I'm like Guillermo Wafu Tapu, Wafu Tapu, yeah, yeah. Watu, and I'm like, well, I sucked, but I beat a Hall of Famer, so maybe I'm amazing. <laughs> Anybody can win yeah. any day. There's some other ones. I don't, I don't want to throw shade or name names, but it's like. When, the thing I love about Moto and and other big events is like you just get paired up against some of the best magic players in the world. And like for me, at least when I beat one of them, which doesn't always happen, but occasionally, like makes me think like maybe maybe there's something to this game for me. Yeah, I mean, I gotta say that mine was just honestly just going to the store championship with you a couple weeks ago, Stan, because it was the first time I had played Magic in an organized way, Paper Magic in an organized way since you know, early 2020. Uh, it was just kind of like a fun day, met some new people in the, in the Chicago scene, got to play against, got to play against them. It was just a nice reminder of an, exp- like, you know, paper magic is cool. Like it was just a reminder that that was true. Got to meet Cam from the, from the discord, all those things. You know, I think that one thing that's been really interesting uh, over the last couple years, but this year in particular, was just seeing all the new people who are dipping their toes into magic content in different ways. And when people kind of get excited about someone who has a new idea, you know, you know, like, uh, for example, Eyelash TV doing live streaming of the Las Vegas event really caught a lot of people's imagination. And now she's off and running doing stuff. And I think, I think it's just really cool to see people kind of express themselves through the through the medium of of that and so i i really feel kind of thankful for that kind of stuff too yeah i, I think my experience is basically it's just like vegas was awesome and i barely played like it was just nice to see uh friends and citizens of the nation who are now even better friends and to do all the awesome floor interviews and to try a new format of an episode that like worked out in the end and to just like provide some coverage and some give people uh, the feeling of kind of being there i think was was really fun and i and that was it was fun to have an experiment work and to just hang out with with some friends so it was a good time. Let's go into perhaps the, the what's the best decision you think by Wizards of the Coast this year? Let's be positive. Best Wizards of the Coast decision. Printing counterspell into modern. <laughs> you think so? I mean, it's fine, right? I think banning banning uh, Dibble's trickery in 10 days was, was pretty great. And ultimately, I think that whole ban was just a great thing for for modern as far as it goes like they just nailed it it was good to get rid of those cards let's move on yeah mine was banning uro i don't i don't think it had to happen like i don't think they could have had uro be around for a while longer but like they just were like fine we're gonna make this format more fun uh you know and screw screw Uro. so peace out peace out Uro. people might not agree with this but the fact that they made 400 versions of every card like is a weirdly good financial thing for paper players i I actually think it's a bigger thing than that too i i I did have this on my list because i think they they're growing the tent is a really good thing i mean the finance thing that you talked about i think is important to you give people options for different levels of, of of stuff but also magic is one of the best designed systems I've said this before on the show, the best designed game systems that's ever been made, I think personally. And the idea that we can go and bring IP that people love into the game in different ways. People want a Lord of the Rings set, they're going to make it. People are going to love Transformers, maybe they're going to make that something. You know, like I, I know that that stuff rubs, rubs people the wrong way sometimes because it's not magic, but magic is the 
game. It doesn't have to be all these other, it doesn't have to have these walls up around it. So I, I kind of like that they took that stance at this point as well. And just get the game in the hands of more people, I think is a good thing. Awesome. I feel like I agree with everybody's points here. I, I, I feel like I don't have any like super hot takes either. I feel like my biggest pick was when you, the, the like the bands with the Tibble's Trickery and Cascade Valky and Uro and Mystic Sanctuary. I feel like all of those were handled like really quickly and like surprisingly well at that time. And I was really, really happy with those decisions. I also feel like Modern Horizons 2, like if you just like if you remember like the amount of doom and gloom and despair, like I, I was <laughs> streaming every day and I would just get like at least a, 10 questions every single day. How badly do you think Modern Horizons 2 is going to mess up the format? How badly do you think it's going to mess up the format? How many cards do you think are going to be banned? Uh, dope cards are banned. Format's really fun and engaging. And I like, I personally am having a lot of fun with it. So like, I feel like it's not perfect. Ragavan's not a super well designed card. Uh, Saga has some problems. There are, there are issues. There are criticisms to make about a few cards for sure. But at, but I think you like think that comes inherently with the format being as engaging as interesting and as dynamic. And I am blown away by how much of a slam dunk that set was in my opinion. Right on. All right, quick. Did any of you have an MTG finance of the year? This is a suggestion from Jason. Like, did you have just like a spec that that killed it? I know that the 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 Discord on on the whole got a lot of furies. Yes, pretty darn low. That was a good one. Made some cash off fury, quote unquote. Made cash on fury. I guess I did sell some. So, uh, I you know if I ever buy into a card and talk about it, I haven't done it in a very long time. But I also make it a point these days to just not talk about MTG finance. Yeah, because it's because sometimes cards I play spike, and then I get people from like the finance side coming in and going, "All right, what card are we spiking today?" Yeah, what card? Yeah. We and it's just I just try not to talk about it anymore. Yeah, yeah. that's fair. Yeah. All right, so one last question before we get off, and we might do a deeper episode about this uh, later on this year. But who is willing to share what their goals are for what they're thinking about for next year? Maybe one thing that they're working towards in in magic stan i think you have some thoughts um yeah i mean i i mentioned this last week i want to make it into the next showcase challenge um i i got really close this time without trying i just never really thought about qps i've never registered for a prelim and now that i actually understand like the role that prelims play in qualifying for the the showcase challenge at the end of a season it's something that i would want to do not only because it actually takes success, ongoing success to reach that level, but also to, you know, play in an event of that caliber with a bunch of awesome, strong players. Like you got Hall of Famers, you have the grinders, you have your aspiring spikes, you got zoomers and boomers under the same roof. <laughs> Mass hysteria. Yeah. So I think that that's a big one for me. Ever anything on your mind going into the next year? You want to start a podcast. Okay. Okay. I'm just, just straight up R- with us. All right. When that happens, that wraps up this show forever. <laughs> Man, I'm I'm, t- I'm taking away the unofficial fourth co-host of the year award oh, from no. you for that one. I don't know. Uh, I I feel like me personally, I'd like to develop a very good work-life balance because I feel like the stream and everything with Magic's going really well. Uh, but I, I want to get back into the gym and I want to do some more personal projects. I want to get back into like writing, like just for fun rather than just for channel fireball. 
And so I guess, like, I mean, I've, I've accomplished a lot of magic this year. I feel like most of my goals for next year are, like, more personal-related than the magic-related, to be honest. I think that's really, that. that's healthy. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Shane, what's on your mind? Oh, man. Magic goals. I don't really know. Like, I actually, I had a kind of a lot of frustrating fun. I mean, and this is weird because I kind of was hating on Historic recently, and I don't know if it's long-term grasp on me but i i kind of have liked like really grinding to mythic in, in a weird way it was kind of frustrating and up and down but it was it made me feel like i did something uh you know you can't you can't be that but you can't you can't be really bad and make mythic you can be kind of bad uh, i think i would actually like to stan has been inspiring me to like be more focused and uh goal oriented with magic online and i think uh trying to focus on actually becoming a little bit better at magic online would be good. Um, I don't have any like podcast goals. I think the, I mean, I'm, I'm proud of where we are with the podcast. I like where we are. Uh, and I, I think largely it's just to keep doing what we're doing. And, but I do, I agree with spike where it's like, I want a, a, a balance in terms of my, my approach to gaming. Cause right now it's very haphazard. It's like, I complained about not having a lot of time. Uh, but I think the time's there. It's just a matter of like, putting that time into different buckets, like more concretely. And I think that's sort of like, that's, that's larger than magic as well. It's like, how do you, how do you organize your free time in ways that makes you feel like you have free time? Spike, I'd like to hear your thoughts on uh, results oriented goal setting versus, you know, process, process oriented goal setting. Yeah. Well, uh, there's pros and cons to both, right? It's like, like the trophy race is a really good example where, I've got this goal to be the top of the leaderboard. Um, and then you also have like tournaments that you prepare for and you hope to do really well. But um, usually my goals of magic are more process oriented where if my goal, whenever I go to a tournament, if I feel like I did a lot of prep and I had a good, I had good deck selection and I played as well as I possibly could, uh, I'm happy. Um, and I also like personally as a streamer, am I, I'm really happy when I feel like I have like, I'm productive in my testing. I come to the stream focused and full of energy and uh, you know, my I'm, I'm being able to be creative and like keeping the ideas flowing. And that's like, that is more important to me than following any number of weeks is that is that my process is still going well. And so I think that a blend of the two is important. I think that, you can't dismiss all results and you can't put too much weight on all results. And I think striking that balance is going to be unique to the individual too. I appreciate that. I think my goal is to just focus a little bit more or keep trying to improve technical play on magic online. I've, I've been loosening up a little bit playing distracted more often and I just need to, um, you know, and that makes me more frustrated and it makes me, makes it hard for me to sit down at the com computer and come back again. And I, I just want to try to continue to improve, like tighten up, a little bit from from where I have been the last six months or so. I feel like there's a couple of decks I like playing in the format right now more than I have maybe at the beginning of the year. So I'd be I really just kind of want to keep going with those and just kind of try to get better. And I'm going to get super good at Amulet Titan. That's the other. So my brain explodes, like Everett said. <laughs> nice knowing you, Dave. Yeah. Peace. Well, you know what? It sounds like to me, 2022 is going to be a great year. Right on. Before we do get out of this episode, though, I think there's some important other awards to give out. I think we have to give out our awards to uh, the best guest of the year. Uh, that's it's it's a nine way tie. <laughs> uh, Fluffy, Fluffy Wolf, 
Ryan Spain, Spider Space, M. Hayashi, the host of Mishra's Babel, Mana Symbol, everyone who talked to us in Las Vegas, Josh and Kyle from Bad End, and our unofficial fourth co-host of the year, Aspiring Spike. Thanks for coming on a lot this year and for being here tonight. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. We do appreciate it. Thank you. And then, of course, thank you to all the listeners. Thank you to the people who hang out in the Discord with us every day. Thank you to our patient partners for all the time that we put into this. Thank you to the people who come and to this live broadcast every week. Really appreciate that as well. I know there's a small but dedicated crew of you. And just if you didn't count yourself in any of those sets, thank you right now, the person who's hearing this out on the internet. We hope you have a really nice end of your year. Oh, you know what? Also, thanks to everyone who recognizes our screen names on Moto and says, hey, you're from the Dive Down. I always love to see that. When, always love when it. That never happens. Never has literally never happened to me still, but that's fine. It happens to me all the time. Um, also, people who find us on Twitter after we play on Arena. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if anyone else can relate to that. I just, my name is Stanislav everywhere. So people just like, mm-hmm. is this the, the Stanislav? Only Stanislav out there? Yeah, it's it's just me and Sifka, and I think I'm much more personable. <laughs> Maybe I should get him on one day and just talk about what it's like being a Stanislav. Mm-hmm. Do you think anyone ever asks him if he's you? Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I bet it's happened. I bet it's happened. I bet it's happened. Yeah, I'm gonna go check his Twitter account right now. All right, while you do that, I'll take us out of here. Spike, where can people find you? This is this is what everyone's been sticking around to hear at the end of the episode. Like, where do we hear more from this Spike? Bruh. <laughs> yeah, you could you could Google Aspiring Spike and I'm on Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, and channelfireball.com and uh most importantly on the dive down podcast. That's right. Once a quarter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for the rest of us, that does wrap up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast. You get the latest episode as soon as they come out. If you use Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review. Subscribe, follow. Give Spike your money on Twitch. If you know, if you have Amazon Prime, you can just get a fr- one free Prime subscription on Twitch. Give that to Aspiring Spike. Do it. Ne- what are you doing otherwise? He needs to buy dog food. There's also lots of other good. There's also lots of uh, Esther just recently got a great job, so you could get that to Doomwake or Everose or Yellow Hat. Uh, congratulations, TV, Esther. Eyelash TV. Yeah. Fran. Fran just had a baby. F Pauls. Oh, congrats. Mazel yeah. tov to Fran. Yeah. Go out and support your streamers, though, at any rate. People, you you love their content. Go and, go and help them out. If you'd like to submit a question to The Dive Down, you can tweet us at The Dive Down, all one word. Email thedivedown at gmail.com or leave an audio message at podinbox.com slash thedivedown. If you'd like to support our show, you can join our Patreon over at patreon.com slash thedivedown. Shout out to Manitraders for sponsoring our podcast. If you sign up for a Mana Traders account with promo code the Dive Down 2021, all one word, you'll get 15% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. As always, special thanks to the bands Nor and Spaceblood for letting you use their music. And until next week, get out there and have a great holiday!
Boing, 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 boing,